And now, another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. It looks like your luggage is over 50 pounds. Is there anything you can take out? Oh, yeah. Let me just toss all these $20 bills. Great. Let me grab you a trash can. Stop. Instead of throwing money away, move some clothes into a carry-on. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Kate Blanchett returns to talk about one of the performances of the year in Tar. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. And uh, yeah, it sounds crazy to me too to say Kate Blanchett returns, but it's true. She is now a returning guest to Happy, Sad, Confused, and it's a great occasion to have um, just one of the best actors on the planet. Um, she stars in the remarkable new film from Todd Field, um, He of Little Children and In the Bedroom f- fame. It's his first film in 16 years. The film is Tar. It's in limited release right now, um, and it is extraordinary. And Kate's performance in a career filled with amazing performances uh, it could be your best, and that speaks volumes. Um, okay, we'll, we'll get into the Kate Blanchett side in a second, but let me just update you on what else is going on in Happy, Sad, Confused and Josh Horowitz land, which is a lot. So I'm taping this just uh, on the other end of New York Comic Con and Paley Fest, which I think actually is still going on in New York City. It's just a series of events at the uh, Paley Center. All of which is to say... Um, I saw a lot of you out there, a lot of kind words from folks I ran into. Uh, I moderated four different events in a couple days. It's been insane, but um, what fun. It was so, you know, I'm moderating more than ever and I love it. I love seeing the fans and feeding off that energy. And I got a chance to talk about some really great projects. And just in brief, I'll mention them because they're all shows and films that I wanna give some love to. Um, In no particular order, I moderated the panel for The Peripheral, which is a new Amazon Prime series from Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy. Uh, that is another great kind of bit of heady sci-fi. They, of course, made Westworld. This one comes from William Gibson's work, and it stars Chloe Grace Moretz and Jack Rayner, um, who I, I both adore. Great to catch up with them in person. That was super fun, and that we debuted a bunch of footage from that. That's coming soon on Amazon Prime. Um, let's see. Then we did... I'll save, I'll, save the, I'll save the biggest, craziest one for last. Uh, I did a Lord of the Rings event um, with the cast of Lord of the Rings at Paley Center. Um, and what a treat to see this cast. It was seven members of the cast who I'd all seen at San Diego Comic-Con before the show even premiered. And that back then, I couldn't say well, they couldn't say anything about the show. And now, having seen seven episodes thus far, um, really fun to sort of dig into what that show is and those brilliant characters and that high degree of difficulty that War of the Rings, the Rings of Power is. So uh, I don't know if you guys have caught up on it, but it's it's um, it's a massive, I mean, a massive undertaking. And I think they're doing a great job and um, I'm excited to see the finale, which is this week. And uh, they're already in production on season two. I think there are five seasons that are planned. They do have a plan. There's all this you know, we, we, we complain about these movie series and TV series that don't kind of have open-ended plans. They have a plan. So that speaks volumes. 
Um, I moderated the panel. I've mentioned this movie before, but I want to give it some love again. Coming November 4th on Roku, you guys have to check out Weird, the Al Yankovic story. It is a biopic like no other. Uh, definitely reflects the vibe of Weird Al. Very funny movie. Um, and I got a chance to moderate that panel at New York Comic Con with... Daniel Radcliffe and Evan Rachel Wood and Al Yankovic, Weird Al himself, joined us um, via satellite Zoom, whatever technology we were using, I don't even know, but that was a treat, and, and just look, we'll mark that, that movie down, because it is such a crowd pleaser, and it's going to be for free on Roku, and, well, you know, nothing to complain about that. Uh, and I guess the last one I want to mention... Because personally, this was a big one, and I, and I like I, I do get a chance to moderate a bunch of events, and I try not to be jaded about all of it. And uh, this one was impossible to feel jaded about. I'm I, I hosted the Star Trek Universe panel at your Comic Con, and not to digress too much, but Star Trek was kind of the first geek love for me. It really was. I went to Star Trek conventions when I was a little kid in New York City. I stood online for Gene Roddenberry's autograph. I did it all. And to be there full circle for this panel in which we covered Star Trek Discovery uh, with the cast and creators of that. Star Trek Prodigy had Kate Mulgrew there. Amazing. Of, of Voyager fame. So awesome. And then culminating, guys, if you're a Star Trek fan, you, you're going to feel the same way I do. Uh, we reunited the cast of Next Generation on stage. Uh, and it was bananas. They're all in the third season of Picard coming soon. So it was, let's see if I remember it all. I think I should. Uh, Patrick Stewart, LeVar Burton, Gates McFadden, Marina Sirtis, Jonathan Frakes, who am I leaving out? Brent Spiner, uh, Michael Dorn. Um, am I leaving somebody out? I might be. If, oh, uh, you know, I think that's it. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing, <laughs> and the energy in the room was remarkable. How often do you get that group together on one stage? Will it happen again? I don't know, but it was a, it was a real honor and a privilege to be there, and I, was I tried to very much embrace the moment, and um, there was so much love in the air about Star Trek, which, you know, as we kind of talked about Trek throughout this long panel, the themes of family kept coming up. Rod Roddenberry, who's Gene's son, um, you know, still very much a key component of that creative team. Um, and to see, hear him talk about passing it on to his son, LeVar Burton talking about his daughter appearing in the new season of Picard. So, um, yeah, it just uh, it really spoke volumes to like what Trek has been and continues to be over decades. And to see it continue uh, was really heartwarming. So, all of which is to say it's been busy, guys. And I, I have no complaints. I love I, I love it. I, I'm really honored that I've been asked to host so many great events. Uh, I'm looking forward to a little bit of uh, a break <laughs> for a second. But not for too long, because in the show notes, check out the upcoming live Happy, Sad, Confused events. And we've got a bunch of them coming. I'll rattle them off. Uh, October 25th, uh, Symphony Space is Ralph Macchio talking about waxing on his new memoir. October 26th, we've officially announced it. Me and Henry Cavill. Yes, Henry Cavill. Uh, and there will be a lot to talk about, guys. Trust me. I'm not going to say too much, but there will be a lot to talk about. Uh, Enola Holmes too, and a lot more. Um, and then, this is an exciting one. November 11th. Uh, this is at 92Y. Uh, as is Henry Cavill, by the way, um, Sylvester Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, uh, and his showrunner for his new series on Paramount Plus, Tulsa King, Terrence Winter, 
of um, Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire fame, writer of Wolf of Wall Street, uh, will join me. Sly Stallone, guys. A talk about a living legend. So um, lots of opportunities to see me and some amazing guests in person in New York City. There are virtual options for all those um, those shows. So check it out in the show notes. Uh, you know what to do. Go to Patreon dot com slash happy sad confused to get early access discount codes all the good stuff um and check out check out our youtube channel as well youtube.com slash josh horowitz Woo, lot going on right okay uh back to kate blanchett i'll toss this conversation uh, momentarily but just a tiny bit more context this film that she's promoting one of my very favorites of the year. It will definitely be in the top 10, if not top five, if not top two or three, I don't know. Um, I've seen it twice. It's fantastic. It is a probing um, character study of a very flawed woman uh, who is a conductor composer uh, of very high esteem and accomplishment who is basically at a crossroads and her past is catching up to her. Um, and it is it has been very well reviewed and justifiably so. I this performance will blow you away. Uh, she is, for what it's worth, currently I don't know probably the front runner to win Best Actress, but that can change. Who cares? Bottom line is it's a great movie. She's fantastic in it. I caught up with Kate Blanchett the day uh, she was in New York City for the New York Film Festival premiere. Uh, we contextualize that. We say that in the conversation. Um, it was the morning of the, that film festival premiere. Um, and I just, I'd run into, I'd gotten a chance to actually see Kate Blanchett a couple weeks prior. Again, just saying this because it comes up in the conversation. I saw her at the Telluride Film Festival where the film screened as well. So uh, that's some context around that. Um, there's a little bit of spoiler-ish talk in here, um, but I do reference it and give you ample warning. Um, but there's some great stuff in here about her life and career. Um, and her many notable roles, and a lot on this fantastic performance in Tar, which if you love film, um, you've probably already prioritized this one, uh, and if not, do so um, right now. My highest recommendation. Okay, um, let's get to the main event. I know this is a long preamble, but it's been a lot going on. Um, I'm going to go lie down and go to bed because I'm tired. It's just too much. Uh, you have a task at hand to listen to one of the world's greatest actors on the planet talk about their craft and their career. Here is me and Kate Blanchett. You know, I've been married to my husband for 25 years, almost 26 years, and he will not let me make him tea. The boundaries. This For is the limit. Obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just coming into this very important conversation where Kate has mangled a, a, a her tea uh, procedure. Yes. Apologies yeah. for. So it's, it's a daily, daily occurrence. Mangled tea procedures. The good news is you're much better at acting than your tea procedures. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I, well, I hope so. You're you're quite good. Congratulations. Yeah. It's good to see you again. We were just talking. We caught up uh, briefly in Telluride. We both drank the Kool Aid. We're in, in for that festival. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. You just said it was your first. It was my first too. Remarkable. Remarkable. And now we're here in New York. You're on my home turf. Thank you for coming. Uh, and today's a big day. As we tape this, this is the premiere at the New York Film Festival for Tar, this exceptional piece of work. Uh, before we get into Tar, I'm just curious. You've done so many different kinds of premieres in your career. <laughs> what's like? What stands out as like, I don't know, walking into a premiere with expectations, worry, anxiety? Is it always like what's your secret to a chill premiere? I well, the longest premiere that I ever went to, the Mahabharata of premieres, was when um, was for the Hobbit. 
in um, in New Zealand. And and Pete and Fran said it's it's a long red carpet. It was literally like it, I think it was about two and a half miles long. So the red carpet is, is proportional to the film. So no, they make, uh, they, proportional they, they... <laughs> to the, the population of New Zealand. I they see. wanted to allow every single member of the, of the New Zealand population to have access to right. the actors. So welcome to New Zealand. And we don't mean just metaphorically. We mean literally welcome all of New Zealand to yes. the premiere. So that was a long one. But, you know, it is – It's. I mean, when, when we um, showed the film for the first time in, in, in Venice, it is – it's. I find it excruciating to to watch myself. But Todd has made an exceptional film, and and you know the ensemble of actors. You know, Nina Haas, for instance, yeah. is so extraordinary. I could watch her. You know, read the phone book. But it's. It, I find it increasingly important to watch these things with an with an audience because you have no idea how it's going to play, and then you have to let it go. But it, it's very nerve wracking. Well, this is one, and I've seen it. I've seen it a second time since Tell Your Ride, and it's it's it plays. I mean, in so many fascinating different ways. It's a sticky film. I mean, I, I mean that in that. Like it's, it's, it's called tar. I didn't even mean that metaphor, but thank you for that. But no, it does. It really like it, it, it sticks with you in the best possible ways, and it's going to conjure a lot of different uh, conversations. Mm. Um, this is it's, at its heart, it's a character study, a fall from grace of this amazing figure, this complex figure, Lydia Tar. Um, it's interesting you say fall from grace. I think the first time I read it. I found the the descent, um, you know, a bit like Orpheus going down into the underworld, um, really dark and confronting. But then in playing playing it, I, I feel like there's a kind of an epiphany or, or a rebirth. It's a little bit of an inkblot test. I mean, I don't want to give away the ending, but but where it gets to, it's it's about it. Look, it's a meditation on power in a lot of ways, but it's also it's and the corrupting nature of power. You know, you don't have to be a classical musician to understand that. But I think it's also about the creative process and that we talk about giving birth to ideas or giving birth to to um, you know works of art, whatever that in whatever form that may be. But but the urge to destroy that yeah. is equally as powerful. It's interesting you say that, and maybe we'll put a little spoiler word on this part of the conversation because I wasn't planning on going there. But what you bring up is something that I was thinking about, especially the second time I watched it, mm-hmm. which is the way the film ends. She's not destroyed. Like she, she, she. Is you can t- stop listening now um, <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie. We'll, we'll skip by this for those that are. We'll skip ahead yeah. for a couple minutes. Okay. But she still has the same certitude and passion for the work. Yeah, at the very end. Um, there's a humility, yeah. I think, and and we don't associate that with with positions of power. And I think what I find really interesting, particularly because she's a classical musician, you know, she's a she's a composer, she's a she's a pianist, but she's also um, you know a conductor of the greatest orchestra of all time. Um, so you know, the fact that a woman is leading it, you know, it's, it is a bit of a um, a fairy tale in that respect. But you know, she does she's she's had to invent her own origin story yeah and I think in because in classical music world your connection to your mentor to the history of the music and therefore your unassailable right to be able to perform it and reinvent it you know if you look at Marin Olsop and um, her connection to Bernstein and Bernstein's connection to Mahler's widow you know like it's um, uh, or his sister I can't remember which that, that that gives them the right to reinvent the music right. and of course we discover that the Tars sense of her history is not what she says it is yes. you know so it's it, um she's it, very estranged from herself it's a masterful 
kind of masked exposition in the first like act that Todd does, I think. Todd Yeah, Field. the prologue, I'd like to think of it. Yeah. Yes. So the prologue is this extended sequence, this like interview from no less than Adam Gobnick that could feel like an exposition dump, but it really is very telling for exact <laughs> exposition dump. No, but it could yeah. in the wrong hands, in the wrong yes. like uh, treated uh, but it, but it says so much because you're right, like we see her assistant mouthing the bio and we realize Oh, this is constructed. Yeah. This is totally constructed by her. I mean, the facts may be the facts mm. to different degrees, but this is a meticulously created world she's created for herself. This like hermetically sealed world that um, that really, I guess. Then the, the the whole film is is a bit of a slow burn on like of that of that world getting destroyed of getting yeah. holes poked in it and 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 i think you know c- conductors in particular but i think a lot of people in the public eye you know whether they be an architect or the ceo of a major banking corporation you know but particularly with conductors is that their personalities go a long way to cement their reputation right and so what is said about you because what you do making music it's ephemeral right. unless you and that's why recordings are you know so important you look at von Karajan, you know he was um he was very um, obsessed with how music looked as much as how it sounded. And he would go into the recording studio and replay and replay and replay and, and film himself conducting. Wow. You know, so it's, you know, because he knew that that would be his legacy. Because if he just left it up to the, the, the concerts, then it once all of the people who had seen him live... It's over. It's, it's gone over, forever. It's gone. I mean, that's what I love about theatre. Yes. You know, you have to be there. or it's And that's what is great about cinema, too, particularly these days. If you don't see this film in the yeah. in the cinema, then you don't you miss that experience. So so where are you at? You just talked about theatre. I'm right I, here, right now. <laughs> no, literally, where are you, Kate? I can't see you. I'm over here. <laughs> Help! <laughs> no, but, I mean, you talked about theatre, and that's part of the love of theatre, which is that it is ephemeral and it's special it's only for that 500 people at once but you know are you the type that I don't know like uh, Lydia keeps the clippings keeps the memorabilia keeps like is is documenting every tangible part of her life Um, I had this horrifying moment the the National Archives in Australia and I can't remember whether it happened or not they approached me to to say would you know do they want to archive stuff and I I went oh and I must have mentioned it to my mother and one day a box arrived um, to my house and it had kind of the, the dress that I'd worn to my dad's funeral and pages and pages and pages bound volumes of clippings and that of from when you know when I the first interview I must have given oh you know when I did Oliana coming out of drama school David Mamet's Oliana and I went it was really horrifying. It was like looking at a dead limb. <laughs> it wasn't enjoyable. It didn't bring back the beautiful memories. No. No. Uh, well, no, no, because it's so interesting. Because I think don't I mean don't you find that the way we think about things that have happened in the past, we it it the present influences how we remember them. And then when you get the stark reality of I looked like that, I actually said that ridiculous nonsensical sentence, you know, like it's it's we sort of we polish those things. Right. You know, Um, one of the the many talking points about this film, I I know, will be, you know, how it reflects the cancel culture that we've been, you know, the world that we live in now. I mean, I we're all going to relate to it in different ways. Like personally speaking, definitely, definitely. And I. I worked my first job out of school. I worked for Charlie Rose, and I know you were on Charlie mm-hmm. a bunch of times. Many and, times, yeah. Right, and like so, like that. that it's it's a. It really had me thinking about him, frankly, and thinking about folks that are canceled and what happens, literally the day after. Like you don't think you know, like like because we're seeing her in that moment of when it's over and mm-hmm. going from 
the center of attention and her world is perfect by her own standards in some ways. And then she's a pariah. But she's also, she's haunted, I think. You know, it's a, True. It, there is it's a the kind creeping of a, dread of it catching up to her. Yeah, there is yes. a, a strange um, haunting that, that's going on in, in, in the film, you know. And it's interesting you talk about cancel culture because for me, it's like, you know, that moment when mobile phones ended our lives, it changed the way we constructed narratives. Right. And I feel like we haven't even processed. Um, the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter and um, the idea of canceling people. But that is the world in which we live. Yeah. And the pandemic, you know, that. so even if a movie doesn't, a film, a story, a novel, a, a stage play, a, um, it doesn't, a work of art, doesn't directly, literally address those things. Like the mobile phone influence nar- narrative delivery, I think that all of these, these things that we're going through are textures in the way an audience perceives a a movie because it's our day to day. Yeah, and so with. definitely, you can't yeah. make a movie at, the, at now without those things being a reference point. And I think that that's where they sit in the movie. I think for me, it's a much more existential, um, metaphysical journey yeah. than it is a kind of a literal social commentary. Do you think about though? I mean, I, the character does talk about. It, I think at one point of, of caring more about the work than the life of the artist. And I feel like it's something that we all kind of wrestle with, I've wrestled with as a, as a lover of the arts when I learned that the person that makes the thing is not the, you know, the paragon of virtue that maybe I had dreamed when I was a kid. I'm good at separating it. I still, I, I can't, you can't take away a filmmaker's works from me if, if it's complicated, right? isn't it? It's very complicated and, and um, you know, it, I mean, the interesting thing I think the film really examines is who is the judge, yeah. because it's not just um, you know. It's, it, I think there's such a phenomenal ensemble in in this in in this film of Todd's, because it's not just Lydia who is changed and altered, um, corrupted maybe, or emboldened by being in a position of authority of power. It's all the people who support her being in that yes. position and need her to behave in a certain way, need her to to um, to keep them in the positions they are. We're, I mean, we're all culpable in some way. Now, Absolutely. that doesn't excuse outrageous behavior, yeah. um, but it and doesn't mean it doesn't need to be examined. But I think it needs to be discussed with, you know, with a degree of mature, nuanced discussion, you know, it's 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 uh, it can't be dealt with in a soundbite. So it, it's it's written, direct, directed by the great Todd Field. This is his first yes. film in sixteen years. Um, not because he's lazy. Not because he's lazy. He's just picky, picky, <laughs> and it's tough to make good stuff yeah. it, it, from anyone. I mean, you think about little children and um, and in the bedroom. Yeah. I mean, I still remember moments, scenes, expressions, um, performances, and um, shots from from those movies. He's so gifted. So he 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 says he wrote this with you in mind. How often does that happen, and and how often does it work out when someone comes to you and says, "I've written this for you," and you're the only one. For oh, well, this. they all say that, don't they? Well. And then 17 people have passed on it before it gets to your desk. I don't know. I mean, look, it's I didn't know that until I read the the press notes in in, in Venice, and I'm I'm so grateful I didn't. I mean, it's um, that's that's a lot of pressure, and there was you know there was enough to be getting on with. There was so much to do to get to um, first base to even play the role. So. Well, what is the first step? Like, what's the first? Like, you get the script. panic, okay, <laughs> panic, so panic, panic attack, and then the work yeah. begins. And what is the work? Is it a lot of different facets in approaching this? Well, our conversation, Todd's and my conversation, initially were intensely practical. Mm. 
it was, um, okay, so this is a 10-minute scene. How do you think you might shoot this? Okay, so is this the piece of Bach that you want me to play on the piano? Okay, so I need to, I need to get on top of that because it's a teaching exercise. How can I play that? Um, she's also composing something, and Hilda um, Grundotter did the music. I mean, she you know, did an amazing score. Probably yeah. People will know her from the Joker, but she's an incredible composer and, and cellist. Um, and so she composed that. I had to learn that. I didn't know how much Todd wanted to use, so I had to be prepared. And then, of course, she's leading an orchestra in Germany. And I said to Todd, she's been there. Tara's been there for seven years. She's not going to lead the rehearsal in English. She has to do it in Germany. He said, you said it. So <laughs> then I had to Don't pull out my, when it comes my, time to do it. Yeah, my <laughs> German textbooks. But fortunately, I've got a very dear friend who's an opera singer. And um, she introduced me to this miraculous human being, um, Francisca Roth, who helps um, opera singers uh, to sing correctly in German. So she knew the musical world, and so I spent a lot of time with her. All right, so let's take a step back a little bit on, on some, some broader career stuff. I, I just had uh, Matt Smith on. I don't know if you're familiar with his yes. work. He's fantastic. Yes. Um, and he introduced me to a game called Movie Star or Actor. And he just brings up an, uh, a thespian, an actor, and says, are they first a movie star or an actor? So, Kate, oh, oh, hang on, but I mean, that you, you, you pulled a funny face. What, is, one, is one good and one bad? Well, that was my question for you. A, I guess my component A, are, is Kate Blanchett a movie star or actor? And B, is there a pejorative, is there a negative connotation in your mind, like just a movie star? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I revere both, and I think someone can be both, but I don't know. Movie what is stars, I mean, I think that the notion of movie star is, it seems like an antiquated thing, but there's a light that some people have. Um, and it's not about transformation. It's not about seeing the acting. They just, they're luminous. Yeah, holding and the screen, holding our attention. Yeah, yeah. and I, um, yeah, I, I think that's maybe the quality that people are talking about. And you, you're born with that. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting too. You work with some actors and you think, are you doing anything? Right. But then you see them on the screen and there's a relationship or something that the camera brings out in them, which is just, it's so imperceptible. So it's, it's, um, it's a gift. It's a gift. When you, when you came out of drama school, was, were movies on your mind? No. I was never that girl. I was never, no. I, I thought if I was lucky, I would have a, um, a, a career in the theater, which I was very, very happy um, with working in Australia. I didn't ever think that I would make a, a, a movie or do any television or even travel with my work. So uh, obviously, you know, we're going to skip around because we don't have time to do everything. But like Elizabeth was a turning point that changed things seemingly in terms of your visibility uh, around the world. Safe to say maybe, no, maybe not. Maybe. Oscar maybe, Lucinda prior to that. Yeah, or? maybe externally it might have seen that. For, for me, though, a big turning point was in my final year at drama school, I played Electra. And by default, actually, not by design, um, it was kind of a really complicated situation where another girl was quite painful, actually. She didn't perform the role, and I did. And that was transformative for me. And then when I came out of drama school, so many people in my year worked, and I don't think anyone knew what to do with me. Mm -hmm. And so I realized I sort of had to work out what to do with myself. Got it. Um, and I got cast in um, David Mamet's Oleana. And sure. that was, to me, that was, a, that was for me, was a big turning point. Because of the material, because you're working with Jeffrey on stage. I guess because I, I guess because I just felt like I stopped thinking about myself. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, because of course, self-consciousness is the enemy to getting right. anywhere as a, as a performer. So that was, yeah. 
was it clear to you though when Elizabeth came around that like, I mean, it's like a Michael Corleone kind of role down to like her <laughs> um, yeah. orchestrating the multifaceted <laughs> attacks by the end. Um, <laughs> did you see the capacity of what that could be uh, matched with the director at the time? I thought it was going to be the death of my career. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, oh. as as nascent as 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 it was <laughs> at the age of what twenty seven, I thought, you know. Um, but I, I loved working with Chekhov Kapoor, and it was kind of like the first one of the first sort of um, Bollywood East meets, right. meets West aesthetic hybrids. So, uh, you know, I don't think I fully appreciated how that sort of shifted things uh, yeah. at, at the time. It was just um, I, I just thought, well, this is it. I have to enjoy it while I can. Yeah, and then I'll go back and and you know, my first love, which is theatre. Oh. You've been able to do both, thankfully. Yeah, um, lucky me. I mean, it's it seems like next to talent, the best asset and luck perhaps an actor can have is good taste. And it's safe to say, I mean, looking at the directors you've worked with in your career, it's like looking at like like a just a compendium of the great the greats of the last 50 years. Mm. It's and, and in, in terms of reflecting also international cinema. Mm. Um, and I guess I, I'm curious. I don't know. How do you select directors now? I guess you're selecting projects, not just directors, but I would imagine. In the the end, I think it's the the director. I mean, there's been a few times where I've been so enamored with the script um, and then the script has just been shot. Right. And that was a remarkable thing working with Todd. I mean, what doesn't that man do? I mean, he, we had a conversation. He's obviously he was an actor. He yes. was a jazz musician. He's a screenwriter. And I felt I was totally um, entranced and bowled over by the screenplay of Fatar. And he's a director. And then we had this conversation the other day, and he was talking about going around and, and, and checking the theaters, you know, for when Tar comes out, because the sound yes. is so important. Audiences have also appreciated, especially some of like, you know, the quote unquote bigger franchise stuff that you've been a part of. I'm curious, like the stuff like Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, et cetera, uh, Thor, Ragnarok in recent years. Have, have those been influenced by your kids as much as your interest in the material itself? Like, do they factor into when you get involved in something that satisfies the popcorn side of things or no? Um, I just felt like it, it was a, a genre that I didn't, I, I hadn't worked in and I was curious about. And obviously doing something like um, Thor Ragnarok, it was to work with Taika, yeah. you know? So w- once again, it was kind of director driven. Yeah. But yeah, part, partly. Like, you know, um, I, I did a voice in Guillermo's, Del Toro's Pinocchio, Pinocchio yeah. which yeah. comes out soon. And, and um you know, I could say what a good parent I am that was for my children, but really it was to work with Guillermo. No, hang out again. with Guillermo. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah, 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 genius. Yeah. And what, do I have it right? You're completing that great Mex- Mexican trifecta of brothers, as it were, soon? Are you going to work with Claron? Just well, almost finished. Yes. Oh, you're in the we, middle we, of it. Yeah, we've um, we've we've kind of wrapped the first tranche in 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 London. Oh, so. exciting. Yeah. Um, it does seem like he's one of those those filmmakers, storytellers that, again, like, has all the, the, the tricks in the toolkit, but it's for, it services a good thing. Like, he, he, it's, he, it's ways that tell a story in a unique way. The way Inaritu can do Birdman and, and, yeah. and, 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 and explore, you know, a, a seemingly continuous shot, but it's for narrative reasons. Some yes. people can just trot out the tricks for no reason. Yeah. But it does seem like you've, you've, you've taken some big swings with some great filmmakers. Like, I think of, like, Soderbergh. Yeah. Unlike Good German, which you know, may, some people may have loved Only or hated. Only three or four people saw it. Saw I it. saw it, and it's and I, and again, I admire. I would say I admire the big swings, and that yeah. must have felt like 
when he comes to you with that, is is part of the excitement like, yeah, we're going to go for it. I mean, he is one of the genuine experimenters. Yeah. And he he's experiments. I mean, he's just obviously a technical master, but he's so inventive with the way films are distributed, released, and disseminated and consumed, as as well as the way he tells stories. And so he's constantly shape-shifting and, and moving the form. He's, you know, he's so fascinating to talk to and so the chance to work with him and um, and he came and did a play with us in, when we, my husband and I were running the Sydney Theatre Company, which was great. Oh, cool. Based on um, uh, uh, the Casey Anthony story, Top Mom. Yeah. He, he's somebody that like is so iterative. It's like every 18 months, it's like he's just going to do something he's never done before in yeah. a fascinating way and it's just thrilling that like someone, because a lot of people lose that and yeah. it feels like he's never going to be that. No, no. And he's, you know, he's totally prepared to give it all away yeah. and then, he, but he's so curious about, yeah. he can't help himself. The the legacy, so we were talking a little bit, Thor, I mentioned Lord of the Rings. I mean, the legacy of, of Galadriel and that character and those films must exceed your wildest expectations. I can only imagine like day one of shooting that or when you took that on versus what it, of how it just informs your life day to day, like still being recognized and still being kids generations from now will still know you for that role. I mean, I mean, it's a great thing, but I mean, does that boggle your mind that it has had the staying power it did? Did you know from Peter, Peter's talent from day one that well, it had that I capacity? Knew. I mean, it was totally, of course, being a Tolkien fan, who, who isn't, but um, it was absolutely to work with, with Peter and Fran, yeah. you know, um, and that that was the draw, and so I didn't. I wouldn't mind what I did, you know. And so I, yeah. And but but it was. It felt like something, like no one was. It wasn't really on anyone's radar. Right. And so I don't think any of us imagined that it was going to be. I knew it was going to be something, something amazing. <laughs> but I didn't know it would have this sort of lasting impact yeah. Yeah, but then of course he's an incredible filmmaker. Yeah, folks. Like every year, you hear about people like it's an annual tradition. I'm going to watch the entire trilogy over like a yeah. holiday and it's that's you're part of part of something that yeah. will never go away it's yeah. amazing yeah. um is there any curiosity about this new Lord of the Rings series just to see what another actress does with a different incarnation of Galadriel Have oh you I'm it sure out? she'll be amazing and how great that they're that they're re-examining that story through through the, her lens yeah. I mean great yeah and in terms of so we mentioned you're in the middle of working with Claro now it does feel like you're working through the list of the greats. <laughs> like, and I know there's some that are even like haven't happened that you've tried, like Luca Guadagnino. There was talk of uh, collaborating with him yes, on, on Brideshead. Yes, one day I hope. Um, uh, there's, who, who else is coming up that, oh, I know you want to work with Pedro, Pedro Almodovar. Yes. Which again, may or may not. Yeah, one road. day. I mean, we've been talking for 20 years about doing it. So, you know, some things take a long time. So is that how it works? I mean, do you reach yeah. out to filmmakers that you admire and just sort of like, because Todd even started on a different project, right? It wasn't necessarily this. Yeah, we met about 10 years ago um, and we were talking about, he was working on a, uh, on a, screenplay with Joan Didion and we met and for one reason I can't even remember why it, it just didn't happen um, but you stay in one another's orbit mm. you know you encounter one another at an event or yeah. you know you watch their movie or you end up your paths end up crossing or they send you a script but you're, you're not available at that time but you've begun a kind of conversation right. sometimes those conversations are sporadic but um, you know it doesn't stop you admiring what what they do and being influenced by by what they're doing and um, you know absorbing you know what, what they do year year in year out and then hopefully one day you'll the stars will align and you'll find something to do together is your attitude like i mean are you 
do you feel like you can work with any kind of director at this point, or do you need a specific, are there certain things that you need to hear from a director that earn your trust, I guess, at this point in your career? Like, what are you looking for in those initial conversations? That um, I think it's just the converse, it's the quality of conversation. Yeah. I think for, for me, it's, um, I don't have a particular process. I think the work, uh, the director, the, the, you know, the material, the other actors, the, the location, all of that influences the way you work. I mean, in the, in the in the instance of Tar, there were certain technical things that I just had to get on top of immediately. So I had to, but some roles are not like that. Some some sometimes you have to just show up and be alive and open to what yeah. what's going to happen on the day. Sometimes you have to get super fit, you know, which mm-hmm. is probably an important thing as you get a bit older. <laughs> um, yeah, to exercise. Um, That's where the yeah. magical tea comes in. The magical tea. Yeah, which I've drunk so much of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm keeping you talking too much. Yeah. Um, you, you, I heard you say something about Todd and, and this and that he was really great about, you know, being willing to kill his darlings, that, that old mm. phrase in terms mm. of this. Like, it's surprising in some ways to me because the film feels very sure, uh, assured and it clearly is. But it sounds like some ideas came and went. And if it wasn't working for whatever reason, he well, let it go. Or well, the what? screenplay that he wrote was absolutely immaculate. Yeah. Um, I thought you don't have to change a syllable. I just have to try and rise to the occasion. But in the process of making it, I'd say you know this uh, this says in the big print here, and he went, oh, don't worry about that. And then you'd realize that the camera was here, and you'd never imagined that it was going to be shot like that. Um, and but he was very open um, to ideas that came up in the moment you know, um, to to shifting and changing things. And as we shot one scene, he'd say, I think we need to do this other scene in one take because we've had a lot of intercuts and rhythmically, like he's such a rhythmic director. Yeah. And him and Monica Willie together, um, you know, astonishing editor, you know, worked with Haneke for years, you know, that that they were very focused on the rhythm of the piece. And as a result, he warned me, you know, there was some sections there was a big birthday party sequence because my character was turning 50 which i hear is a very big turning point for a person theory. yeah i have to remember that when i one day reach that <laughs> exactly reach there. as two 35 year olds we can laugh about exactly. what that's going to be one day <laughs> oh i just lost my bladder control <laughs> yeah no but it's so that that was excised yeah. but he said you know don't worry he said because all of those elements are homeopathically yeah. in the movie and I understood what he meant because the fact that all of us understood, like Nina Haas and I understood that there was a, that she was throwing a surprise party for my character, that it was a big deal, that she was turning 50, that influenced the way we played the other scenes. Yeah. So whilst, you know, and, the, and you know, my halfway through the shoot, he said, I really, really think, you know, because my character has an acute sensitivity to sound, she has misophonia. He said, I think, what have we what have we really played into that? And we said, you know, that she came from an incredibly silent household. Because I kept thinking, she's a character who's been mercilessly bullied. And he said, you know, she's um she's a child of deaf parents. Right. And what therefore where does her her relationship to her acute ability and um uh incredible talent with sound sit with her? And and that and that sort of went away, literally, but it was still a still texture there. for me. You know, does it matter to you like where the camera is? Like, do you want to know? Because again, when I was watching this the, the film again, like, there's like an extended dialogue scene where the camera is like way back. It's on it's on your back and and the person you're talking to for the entire dialogue scene. Like, there's no, we see none none of your face. Does that matter to you? Does it affect your performance at all? Well, you, you, one thing you learn working on stage is to act with your back 
Um, so, and I love, I mean, you know, The Son of Saul. What an astonishing oh, film. Sure, that's right. You were so inside that experience. Um, Laszlo's film was amazing and so confident, you know, that, um, and I, I, I lo- Todd has a um, an absolute confidence and mastery. He always knows where to put the camera. And it helps me enormously to know where it is because then you know you, you know your relationship or the tunnel through which you're communicating with the audience. Right. I don't think I never want to lose that sense on film. But what he was what he was very um, clear about from the beginning is he wanted, particularly in the rehearsal scenes, because it's a rehearsal movie, not a performance movie, right. when they're rehearsing the major work with Marla's Fifth, is he, he really wanted it to feel like a fly on the wall. And I think that that was, that was all the way through. So I knew that the camera would have that quality quite quite often, which was useful to know in terms of the texture of the performance, I guess. We're also seeing like those like kind of revealing moments, like I think the first full glimpse of your character early on in the film is you waiting in the wings about to go out and kind of doing some vocal exercises, kind of just getting into that space where she needs to be. Yeah, getting in control of her. Ticks and anxieties. Boy, I know that that feeling backstage. Well, I was going to ask. So yeah. what, what, what if I had a camera trained on you before you go on stage for a theatrical performance? What is, what is it, it wouldn't look be like? pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, something I have learnt to, to, um, to, to tell myself is that my anxiety is actually excitement because right. that, you know, that energetic quality is quite similar. So it's a, it's a sort of a confidence trick. That you have to do, you know. But and I just, I, I every time I go on, I just say, just remember the first moment, and then the everything else has to evaporate. You cannot end game, you know. You have Did to. The you have, to sta- have you ever blanked on stage? Have you? Has it ever just? I think I have once. I think I have once, and it was a. It was just a moment where I, it it was like everything dropped away, right? Um, for for a minute, and and I realized I'd forgotten to breathe. I mean, that's most times, isn't it, when we forget anything, we've, we're holding our breath. Yeah. So, Theater for you, as I said earlier, has been, it's, it's always going to be a part of your life, clearly. I mean, it's, it's not, oh, I'll do this at some point. It's for as it, long it, as people will come and see me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I love, I love it as an audience member. You know, and the thing is, when you go and see a bad film, you know, or a film that disappoints you, or, you know, you go, oh, well. But when you go and see a terrible play, you go, I am never going back to the theater again. What a hate, I hate the theater. And I love that about it, you know, yeah. because it's so, you know, we have a responsibility to, to the audience is, leans in. So, yeah. so an audience is not passive in the theater. Not that they're not saying that they are in cinema, but. Um, well, they've made the investment, money, time. It's just, it's, a, it's an endeavor and they're going to. But on the stage, I think what people are unaware of is that the audience will shift, the, the show will shift night to night depending on the audience reaction. Now you can guide them rhythmically to 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 a, look at a certain part of the story and that's part of the stage picture where to look but you know it's um they they do complete the evening were when you were growing up was it theater or film that that influenced you that inspired you first like less about the career but just like what i don't know what what was the turning points what are the moments when you think to your childhood that set, that made you kind of fall in love with the arts gosh i um it's hard to say i think i think my first memory of thinking acting was an exciting and dangerous profession was I went to see a production of The Mikado um, and Frank Thring, who you wouldn't know, but he was this 
extraordinary burlesque of a human being and he was playing the emperor and his moustache fell off and he made some quip about he looked at the back of the moustache said oh made in japan and and, you know, that, and he put it back on and i didn't quite get the joke because i was only six but i everyone laughed and you realize that that the wall had come down and that something genuine and real had happened and that the audience just went right in and i and i thought oh i want to be up there yeah. and and uh Ten years and counting. She just started, folks. She's just getting started. Kate Blanchett. We're just in the beginning stages of the career. I mean, you must be so thrilled, honestly. But to be how, how old I am? No, not, what, no, what, no. What I was going to say is... It's just, not easy. No, I know it's not easy. <laughs> but what I was going to say, honestly, is the breadth of the work that continues. Because, like, you've, you've probably... It was probably ingrained on any young actress. Like, it's going to dry up. When you hit 40, it's over. Like, I feel like that's... Oh, my God, yeah. Right? I mean, my husband said with absolute... I mean, I couldn't have a more supportive partner. You know, um, and he said, you know, when um, when I came out in Elizabeth, he said, um, he said, darling, enjoy this because you probably got five years. And that wasn't a lack of confidence in my no. capacity. It was just the reality of, of what it was. And that has really shifted for, for, for women. I mean, my God, there's a lot to, to yeah. be said and a lot to do. I mean, look at what's going on in, um, in Iran at the moment and women's right to choose. Forget an actress's career. I mean, you know, women's rights are in profound pe peril, but there has been advances in our industry. And you're inspired, excited by stuff that's coming your way. You're working with Clarone. I don't know if you're still going to work with Stiller on a project. That sounded interesting. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I really admire Ben. Yeah. I think he's astonishing. And what he's been able to do as a director. Now oh, my shifted. God. I mean, he's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, more to come. Uh, it's a busy day. Was well, this a part two? We're doing part one, part two. We're doing part. We're going to stay here all day. Just settle in. We got the tea. I got. I'm call you chairs. sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I honestly, I really appreciate uh, the time. It's um, it's an exceptional piece of work. Uh, Tars the film. Every, everybody should check it out. As you said, it's um, it's a masterful piece of direction. It really I think. is. It's a real. It's a real kind of welcome home for Todd. It's, um, I think people will be think, oh my God, can you please just make a movie? Don't take another 16 years. I know. Hopefully, yeah. Do what you can to get five or six. We'll take. He can still take his time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, congratulations and enjoy the moment in New York. Thank you. Thank you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>